Hello, and welcome again to another episode of Five Plain Questions, a podcast that proposes five questions to Indigenous artists, creators, musicians, writers, movers and shakers, and culture bearers, people in the community that are doing great things for their communities. I'm Joe Williams, your host for this conversation. I'm director of CANA, the Native American programs at the Plains Art Museum. My goal is to showcase these amazing people in our Indigenous communities from around the region and country. I want to introduce you to Liza Black. Liza Black is a citizen of the Cherokee Nation, meaning Cherokee Nation claims her as a citizen. Black is currently a visiting scholar at UCLA, where she is at work on How to Get Away with Murder, a transnational history of missing and murdered indigenous women. Black is also an assistant professor of history and Native American and Indigenous Studies at Indiana University, and the author of Picturing Indians, Native Americans in Film. Black has received several research grants, including the Ford Pre-Doc, Doc, and Post-Doc Fellowships, the Institute of American Cultures at UCLA Fellowship, and the Cherokee Nation Higher Education Grant. All right, let's jump into this conversation with Liza Black. Liza Black, thank you so much for joining us at Five Plain Questions. It's really great to have you here. Thanks so much for the invitation. It's it's really an honor. Oh, I'm excited. I'm excited. Uh, your book, uh, I'm, I'm not all the way through it yet, but I've been working through it. And it's it's a fascinating, fascinating book. So I definitely want to talk uh, about that for sure. So thank you so much. Um, if you could uh, introduce yourself, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself, your background and where you're from. Sure. So my name is Liza Black, and how we say hello in Cherokee is really easy. It's just OCO. Um, if you want to be casual, it's more like CO, with, with where you drop the O. So OCO to you and your listeners, and thank you for inviting me. My name is Liza Black. I'm a citizen of Cherokee Nation, and I'm an associate professor of history and Native American and Indigenous Studies at Indiana University at Bloomington. I just got tenure. That was very exciting. Congratulations. Thank you. Became official this summer. So that was very exciting. Um, yeah, so where I'm from is I mostly grew up in California, specifically Southern California. I also spent some time living with my grandparents in Arkansas when I was a little girl. And then of course I became an academic and academics, maybe maybe non-academics don't know this, but academics tend to move a lot. We tend to go to college in a location, oftentimes far from our homes, then graduate school even further away, and then take positions even further from there. And then sometimes you'll take multiple positions. And that's become even more true in the last few decades where people take visiting assistant professorships or postdocs. Um, and people will move around several times over their career. So I've lived all over the country since then as an academic. Wow. Yeah. Um, my, my mother is an academic as well, uh, a PhD, and we did a lot of moving as a kid. Um, just, you know, uh, going to different schools, uh, different jobs here and there. So, um, yeah, I totally can appreciate that. So, uh, can you talk about your influences? Um, early on, uh, currently, um, who, who really inspired you to, to where you are today? That's such a lovely question. And, and I have to just really say thank you for this opportunity because, you know, as academics, we get 
ask questions that you sort of feel like you've got to have your book nearby and you've got to start looking things up in your own book in order to answer these people's questions. So it's really nice to be answering this type of question that I can just sort of answer without looking up anything. Um, I would say my grandparents probably had a really big positive influence on me. I think oftentimes in you know American culture, we talk a lot about the negatives and um, let's, let's start out with the positives. So my grandparents had a just huge influence on me in a positive direction. It was really an incredible and positive experience for me when I lived with them. And it was just very special and sort of continues to be kind of the touchstone of my life. Um, my grandmother was kind of very unusual in some ways and in other ways, not at all in that, you know, she was a Cherokee woman. She was um, a very strong woman. She was an amazing cook. Uh, she always liked to look nice. She was really funny. She was um, really, really opinionated on politics and really spoke her mind. And she pushed me to basically be like her. And um, her husband was very, you know, my grandpa was very supportive, good, kind, you know, smart man, funny. And um, it was just really wonderful, you know, living with them and kind of being showered with their love and their protection and their guidance. And I think they really um, nurtured in me, you know, my intellect. And, and I feel like that's sort of ultimately what led me, you know, to an academic life, as well as kind of a string of really, you know, amazing educators who kind of replicated that same dynamic that I had with my grandparents, where it wasn't just sort of this performance that was happening in class where it's just that I happen to be smart and they happen to like the things I'm saying, but that there's this real rapport happening between you. And I, I sort of strive to recreate that in my class. I think a lot of education is about content, but it's also just about the relationship that you're developing with people and how people feel when they're around you. So I would say my grandparents for sure have had a huge positive impact on me as well as my teachers. I, I find often, um, and certainly my experience as well, uh, there, there is a, there is someone within academia that really changed everything for, for an individual. And, and I was wondering if there's maybe someone like that for you that kind of pops to mind. Well, there's so many, and, and I feel a little bad in case any of them listen to this, that, that I might not mention somebody who thinks, what about me? True. <laughs> so, so that's, that's difficult. Um, you know, I mean, gosh, there's, I have to give credit where credit's due. Like my graduate advisor was Richard White. He wrote this really important book called The Middle Ground. I mean, for Native American history, he wrote this really important book called The Middle Ground about the Great Lakes. He's also written this, he's written a number of books, um, but he was, you know, just a really powerful force in my life in that I chose to work with him for graduate school and specialize in American Indian history. And he was really a specialist in that and allowed me to fully develop what became the book about movies. But also, you know, when I was younger and sort of more um, impressionable and maybe less guided, <laughs> Um, I was very much influenced by Martha Hodes, who's a professor at New York University today. She was brand new at UC Santa Cruz. And so her first day at UC Santa Cruz was also my first day at UC Santa Cruz as an undergrad. 
And I just really, really liked her. You know, she was just really fun in the classroom and really energetic and passionate. And she just took me under her wing and she just taught me everything about being an academic. Um, so I just, I loved her and admired her so much. I didn't end up doing, she really does African-American history and I ended up really being determined to do American Indian history. So unfortunately, you know, our paths kind of diverged after my undergrad and I went in the direction strictly of American Indian history, but um, she had a huge impact as well. Uh, so um, if we talk about your career, um, how has that developed? What, what drew you into the academic field uh, to begin with? And yeah, if we could just talk about um, your career uh, as you've moved along. Yeah, for sure. I would say that my academic career sort of goes back to those big influences of my, of my grandparents. They always thought that I was smart and they always wanted me to pursue a higher education. I really kind of struggled actually in high school, especially. I really didn't enjoy high school academically. I felt like it was a bit of a waste of time. So I wasn't one of those sort of like high achievers as a high school student, but I really, really, really enjoyed under, you know, being an undergrad at UC Santa Cruz. Like I said, encountering Martha Hodes, I found her classes so dynamic and I found it so engaging that I just sort of couldn't get enough of it. And that really inspired me to, to pursue a higher education. And then in terms of focusing on American Indian history, you know, I was just still sort of really intrigued. I mean, the intrigue, the intrigue with American Indian history really started for me with living with my grandparents. We spent a lot of time in Oklahoma with my grandmother's relatives and she was encountering all of these relatives that she didn't grow up with um, for kind of the reasons that people can probably imagine if they're from American Indian families where there's, you know, there's tension sometimes and there's, you know, breaks in relationships and things like that. So, you know, I was very young. I was like nine or 10 and I was witnessing her, you know, her reunions with these people, these like very emotional reunions. And then us spending lots of time on the weekends driving there to visit people. And it was just very powerful and had a really big impact on me. She, she had a sister who worked for the tribe and that also had a really big impact on me. I mean, probably not in the reverse, probably if you asked her about me, she probably wouldn't have much to say, but I was a little kid and I was very impressionable. And so I was just perpetually intrigued by, you know, Cherokee Nation, Cherokees being Cherokee, um, enrollment, non-enrollment, um, sovereignty, sort of, these were all the things I feel like I was exposed to when I was a little girl that I didn't, obviously couldn't have articulated all of that as a child. Um, but like one moment that I write about, I think in Picturing Indians is this moment where, you know, my aunt was taking us and, and other relatives too, was taking us to these like Cherokee tourist events. And one of them was that we used to do this play about the Trail of Tears. And, you know, it's very sad and, and very moving, but she knew the people who were the actors. And so, you know, we literally went behind the scenes and just chatted with people right at these at these tourist events where where the sort of front end experience is supposed to make you feel a certain way but then we're going behind the scenes and she's just you know chatting with these people because she knows them and they're friends 
And I was just like, oh, I, as a kid, you know, I found that really intriguing. And I still sort of find that concept of kind of playing Indian in a sense, really, really intriguing. And I think ultimately that's what led to the project that I did as a graduate student. Um, before, before I move on to uh, the next uh, official question, um, you had, I'd read in, in your book, an excerpt from your book about how the, the extras uh, would sort of mock the, the process of what was happening within the film. And I thought that was absolutely fascinating. Um, can we talk about uh, your book uh, and, and how this, this came about? Because it's a fascinating read that I've, I've not read anything like it before. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. I mean, I really, I really intended it to feel like it's not something that you've read before. I wanted it to be a really fresh take. So I really appreciate you seeing that in the book. Yeah, so I, I really delved into the film archives um, to think about, you know, what, what was happening with Native people who worked in these movies. Not so much just sort of watching the movies and saying, these movies are terrible. Here's a hundred reasons why. But to say, who were the people standing in front of this camera and, and what were they getting paid and what were they experiencing and, and how did they navigate this world of these ridiculous costumes and wigs and, and, and speech, you know, that they were asked to make. And, and like you said, you know, it's pretty funny to see how, especially extras, because that was quite common in the 1940s and 50s for studios to relocate to reservations and to hire native people living on reservations who would just sort of stand in the background, not necessarily saying anything, but wearing studio imposed clothing um, and accessories. So, so yeah, they navigated it sometimes with humor, <laughs> with, with making fun of the makeup, with making fun of the wardrobe, with making fun of the story itself, right? I mean, mm -hmm. And, and and we know like by Deloria, you know, he's the one that really kind of laid out like Indian humor. I mean, not to mention like native comics, but um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm glad that you saw what I was trying to do there, which is like an ode to native humor. Yeah, uh, you talked about uh, the, the journey of, um, there's a rubber nose that keeps popping up in different films. I, I audibly laughed and I read that because- <laughs> It's so wild to think that there's this this piece of rubber that's supposed to represent, um, uh, in fact, a caricature, of course. But you know this this um, this buffalo nickel. Um, I forget the name of the individual that's on there. I apologize. Um, but you know that was modeled after that, and it just keeps coming up throughout history. And these at the time, these A-list actors all wore the same to, the same nose, which to me is kind of gross, actually, to to be wearing something that someone else wore like that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, also, too, uh, you had talked about um, your friend who was an extra on um, Northern Exposure, which as a kid, I loved that show because it was Native representation on television. Um, but uh, also, too, as someone that was a part of that, that production, he saw sort of behind the curtain of how things were and how people were treated. Um, can you talk a little bit about, about that and that perspective? Yeah, for sure. So, you know, I got to the University of Washington in Seattle as a graduate student, and I was really fortunate to fall into this group of 
amazing Native students who were incredibly, you know, active, incredibly determined, incredibly energetic. And, and just sort of side note for maybe listeners who aren't aware of kind of how Native student groups function on campus, they sort of operate in waves. It's, it's not so much university imposed. It's something that's very much created by who happens to be a student at that time and that's them great. finding, yeah, and them finding each other and them kind of having the wherewithal to manage their classes and their work and their family life, but also come together to create events. So, so it can be sort of hit or miss. It just depends on who happens to be there when you happen to come into that university. So I happened to come in at a moment that we had just an incredible leader and there was just a great sort of cohort of, of people. And, and I'm getting to your question about, about the extra on Northern exposure. So, so I'm sort of laying the groundwork for the story, right? So it's Seattle, picture it, <laughs> Seattle, <laughs> right? So we're not, we're not far from where Northern exposure is being, being filmed and where Northern exposure is set, right? It's set in Alaska. And I'm, uh, some of it was being filmed, I think, in BC. I'm not, I'm not really sure. I can't quite remember. Um, so, so I come to campus in Seattle thinking, you know, I'm a Cherokee woman and I'm going to write about Cherokee Nation and I'm going to track land loss and I'm going to talk about changing, you know, ideas about women and gender. And, and then I'm spending all this time with all these people from tribes all over the country and we're together like constantly, right? When we're not in class, we're, we're planning an event or going to event, an event or, you know, decompressing from an event. I mean, we're just really, really active. And, you know, there's a lot that goes into developing relationships with people from other nations. Like there's, that's, that's not just a sort of straightforward relationship. There's, there's a lot that, that happens in building up those relationships. So, um, so yeah, I got to know this person who was Navajo and I don't know how he ended up on Northern Exposure, but he did. And, you know, we were all a bit jealous because he was making comparatively really good money compared to the rest of us, right? I mean, you know, we had undergrads in our group who were like working in the, you know, basically the cafeteria or, or the, the cafes, you know, for their student, um, like their student worker money that they get as part of their financial aid package. Yep, yep. And, and so, you know, we're like, you're making how much? Wow, you know? And um, so that became kind of one of our events is that we would get together and like have pizza and watch Northern Exposure for the purpose of looking for Victor. And, and so, so it was fascinating in all those ways in that movies really are good money, right? Compared to other types of, of work that's easily accessible, movies are, are really great money. So there, there was that, and then there was kind of watching this show in the way that you're not meant to watch it, which is looking for someone in the background. Like you're not supposed to look in the background. You're supposed to be looking at the main characters and what's going on with them. But so we were always looking in the background and, and then you know making a big deal about it when he would come on screen and he was doing virtually you know nothing. He would just like walk on screen with a coffee, sit down, <laughs> pretend to talk to somebody, get up, leave, you know, but we're like, <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, all of that, that was a long answer. And all of that was a way into me sort of, I, I wanted to recreate all those layers in the book, you know, as far as like 
what are people making? How much are people making? Is this good money or is this bad money? You know, and, and I kind of conclude it's both, right? They, they could have been making the kind of money that the people in the foreground are making, but they never got in the foreground. But they were definitely making more money than working in the mines, which is really dangerous. Um, you know, and then I was also sort of trying to look at the movies in an oppositional way, like, like we watched Northern Exposure in an oppositional way, right? We're not watching the main characters, we're watching for Victor. And I wanted to watch these, from my perspective, awful movies of the 40s and 50s by looking at the background and sort of talking to them and looking at them and, and listening to them. Ooh, that was long, Joe. Are you okay? It's great. It's great. I, okay. <laughs> I, I often joke that uh, I, I get a little worried when I'm on question three and we're only five minutes into the interview. And so okay. I, I don't know where we are. I don't know where we are. I don't know if I'm going long or short. That's it's a okay. We're doing great. <laughs> we're okay, doing good. Great. Good, 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 um, good. I, I do have a question and maybe we can cut this out too, but uh, you mentioned Victor. Um mm-hmm. Uh, just out of curiosity, what, what was his actual last name? name? Not, not. Well, it's going to get even more stereotypical when I tell you his last name. You're going to go. She's making this up. Okay. His name's Victor Begay. Oh. Um, okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Sam Smith. It's like it sounds like a completely like made up Navajo name because that's is like the two most common names you know in, true, in Navajo true. country. But that really is his name. He's a real person. <laughs> is he still acting? Is he in the in the field still? No, he's an academic. He's an academic. Okay, okay. <laughs> That's so funny. Um, I'll I'll just I'll throw another name out there. So I, I knew a Victor that was I think associated with. He was in the acting field uh, before, and a sweet, lovable person. I went to USD with him um, years ago, and we this is about 20 years ago, we were trying to get Sherman Alexi to come speak at our school. And we were negotiations were kind of tough trying to get that ha- to happen. And Victor, I was on uh, one of the student councils and Victor was on the student council with us. And Victor, as sweet as he is, very quirky, um, dressed very formal, always had a choker on, um, had this little suit, this little vest thing. Um, and just, uh, yeah, very particular. Well, Finally, one day in the meeting, we're sort of trying to figure out our options. And he just sort of, he does this uh, head bob thing and rolls his eyes. And he says, okay. He's like, I'll, I'll reach out to Sherman. We were roommates in college. Uh, he owes me a favor. And we said, well, all this time, you, you, you knew him. He's like, well, he's like, I try not to exploit my friend. I was like, okay, that's, that's fair. And we said, well, what was the favor? And he's like, well, I'm a character in one of his books. And we were like, Victor, Victor from um smoke signals he was thomas and <gasps> the other ones i was saying victor and of course you look at um uh the the actor who played victor in the film uh, or thomas you know he was kind of uh adam oh i forget his oh i should know his name um he's a physician now uh in canada but yeah yeah yep yep uh but they look just like each other. And, and so, yeah, that, that is a real person. Uh, the sweetest, sweetest individual uh, that I've ever met. Um, yeah. So I was just, I thought maybe there's an off chance that it was the same Victor. So. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. I mean, um, I hope, I hope Victor Begay is okay with me mentioning him in the book. I mean, I don't talk to him anymore. You know, I haven't seen him since grad school. 
Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's, it's, uh, no, I, th- I think it's, it's relative to, to these conversations. Absolutely. And it, it was a strong, it was a strong point. Um, so can we talk a little bit about uh, the book and how it came to be? Um, it, it's a fascinating read. and I really would like to, to talk about this a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. Let's talk about it. So yeah, like I said, I got to Seattle for graduate school with, you know, a firm decision to work on Cherokee history, to learn Cherokee. Um, that was just a hundred percent my plan. And then I took a theory class with a woman named Lori Sears and I was totally intrigued. I mean, I had no idea what I was doing. I was just as lost as you could be, but I found it just absolutely intriguing, especially the stuff on popular culture. So, and then I have to admit, I did take a class with a bunch of these native students who were in this student group together. We all took this class on native representations in anthro together. You know, we all sat in the back row talking the whole time and dissecting everything. So that probably figured into it as well. And I just found myself unable to stop thinking about kind of not so much pan-Indianism versus kind of tribalism, which is sort of more of a political conversation, but to sort of bring that conversation into a pop culture conversation and to think about kind of how the Indian um, figures into pop culture and how actual Native people navigate all of that. I found that pretty fascinating. And I feel like, you know, maybe not being in a Cherokee context, kind of just, I just kept thinking about it. And, and then when I shared it with the people on my committee, they were like, go for it. You should do, you should do something on movies. So I went for it and never thought, never, I mean, you don't understand when you're that age, what a commitment, like a 10 year project is, <laughs> you know, you're like, well, let's do it. And then, you know, you're like five years later going, I'm really, wow. Okay. This was a big commitment. So, so that's, that's how it started. And, and I pictured it being quite different. You know, I pictured it in a certain way and then it sort of, it did turn out the way I intended in some ways and in other ways not. And, and here's what happened. You know, I was able to get funding for the project and I moved to Los Angeles where the film archives are located. And I started looking at material that virtually no one's written about. I don't know if people have looked at it and just not known what to say about it or not, but I was looking at virtually every piece of archival material on every single film that had any Indian character in it between 1941 and 1960. So I looked at a massive amount of evidence and every single time I would look at this evidence or, you know, ask for a box, the archivist would tell me, we don't have anything on on native people in movies. There's nothing in here. And I would say, well, just bring me the box. And I found an incredible, I mean, I I wrote a whole book about it. I found an incredible, incredible amount of, of evidence. And so that, you know, took, took the, the project in another direction as well in that I didn't realize before I started the project, I think <clears throat> how extensively native people had been used in these films, like actual native people, you know, where you have their first and last name and you know, for sure, these are native people living in their communities who appeared in these movies. And in that sense, it sort of felt a little bit ethnographic maybe. 
it's um it's a very analytical piece i loved how you broke it down per chapters into into different sections it was um for, for someone like myself too it was very easy to consume not easy but it was it was great to be able to consume it uh, in that way um to be able to to follow the path uh i i, I can't stop praising the book i apologize <laughs> it's, it's, thank you no it's a, i don't mind go ahead <laughs> yes uh, and I'll definitely put uh, a link in the show notes for our listener to to look to take a look at that book and to to opportunity to pick it up if they want it. So yeah, thank you. Um, so the next question I generally ask is uh, the the guess is about opportunities. Um, how have opportunities presented themselves to you over the years? Um, has it changed uh, as you've moved through your career? For sure. I could have never imagined what it would be like to publish a book. I sat in front of my computer by myself working on that book, talked to a very small handful of people about that book. It, it was just, uh, it was incredible to me. Just people, I don't even know, I didn't even know of these people. And then people just came to me asking me to talk with them about the book. It, it was very exciting. And I don't, I felt very underprepared for that, <laughs> quite underprepared. So I would say, um, you know, a lot of, a lot of opportunities have come to me as a result of the book. Hmm. And, and I, I wish that we could reverse that more in society. I wish that there was more dialogue with people as they're creating something, because you learn so much from people once your work is out in the world. But at that point, you're sort of finished with it and you can't change it yeah so uh what would what would you say to the 18 or the 22 year old that's listening to this conversation mm, well i would say i love gen z i love the gen z energy i'm i'm loving their like you know just take it take it down and start over approach and and I applaud them for that. I applaud them for their willingness to question absolutely everything. I applaud them for their activism. I applaud them, <clears throat> excuse me, for their questioning of sort of what, what America has created and kind of the very foundations of America. And um, I would encourage them to keep doing what they're doing, which is um, value their mental health and, and you know, rest, rest, like rest is important. Taking breaks is important. Seeing people you care about is important. Being happy, you know, with them is important. You know, people deserve to be, to be happy and, and work is not an end to itself. Work is just work. <laughs> that's, that's a great answer. Um, it's different than the most of them I get. So thank you for saying those words. Those, those were great. Uh -oh. Uh -oh. No, no, uh, it's it's good, you know. Um, oftentimes, uh, you know, people give great answers, but uh, people don't often emphasize for for young people to just take care of themselves and to find rest and and to connect. Um, that's that's so well said, so well said. Well, Liza, thank you so much for joining me. This was an absolute pleasure. Absolutely, thank you so much. And that does it for this episode of Five Plain Questions. I want to thank Liza again for her time and sharing her story with us. 
I, I really can't say enough about the book Picturing Indians, Native Americans in Film. Uh, it, it's a deep dive into the Native American experience in cinema, and it, it really, really addresses a lot of uh, sort of the untold stories of what that experience was in the 20th century. So I'll put a link in the show notes uh, where you can check out that book if you're interested. Uh, it's definitely worth uh, it's worth your time. Definitely worth your time, and uh, I, I enjoyed it. So uh, I look forward to uh, the next book that she's writing. Uh, she's a very, very good author. So Eliza, thank you for this, and I really enjoyed uh, this conversation. I also want to thank you for joining us and spending your time listening to what I feel is a very important story and perspective from our community. So please join us next time as we speak with another. I'm Joe Williams. You can find me on Canna, that's C-A-N-A-A, Creativity Among Native American Artists on Facebook, uh, five Plain Questions accounts on Instagram and uh, Twitter, and the PlainsArt.org website. There you can see our programming, past videos, and these podcasts. So if you have a suggestion for someone for me to interview, please look me up on Facebook and message me. I'd really like to hear from you. Okay, that's it. We will see you next time. This has been an 11-word.